0: Well, welcome everybody to the MESPA Principal Cast. I am Principal Brett Domstrand of Lake Marion Elementary in Lakeville, Minnesota. And today I am excited to be welcoming our guest, Dr. Katie Pikel from the University of Minnesota. But before we get started, I would just like to remind you that continue reading Roger Aronson's legislative updates and also be sure to check out the 4 at 4 um, email coming from MESPA. It uh, contains a lot of information that's relevant to us and we want to make sure that we're getting you what you need. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Katie Pacal. Katie, it's great to have you.
1: Thanks so much. I'm so glad I can be here, Brett. Brett, I just have to say, you could have been a radio announcer.
0: <laughs> in, in, a, in a different life, right? Yes. <laughs> so, it's, uh, this, is, this is something, a, a podcast is kind of like the closest I'll ever get to my my radio DJ. Uh, well,
1: you're me. pretty good at it, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's uh well, everyone, so I, I want to let you know, I, I have a relationship with Katie because uh, as a graduate of the Minnesota Principals Academy, um, which Katie leads, it's uh, it's something, if you're looking for professional development, that's going to challenge you, get you to start looking at the research and, and really, really make those decisions that are in a, not just a student-focused lens, but in a school-wide focused lens. Um, MPA is something you really need to consider. So Katie, when we, when we get into MPA, well, maybe why don't we start with that and then we'll go back to your principal journey. But sure. uh, so, how did principal Minnesota Principal Academy come to be? Yeah,
1: great question. It came to be long before I got to the university. So in 2005, uh, there were a couple of legislators that got together and they wanted to create an executive development program for school leaders. Basically, they were looking to recreate what was then known as the, the Bush Fellowship that a lot of school and system leaders went through that is no longer... Um, so they um, got some money um, through the legislature. The money went to um, the Minnesota Department of Education. MDE put out um, a call for proposals. Then Commissioner Segrin um, contacted then-President uh, Bob Brudix of the University of Minnesota and said, hey, I'm not getting enough responses to these <laughs> calls for proposals. Um, so the university responded um, And what they brought forward was um, the NISL curriculum, which is part of the Minnesota Principals Academy. Um, NISL stands for the National Institute of School Leadership. Um, The curriculum is um, uh, evidence-based. It is the only principal professional development program to have shown statistically significant results in um, student outcomes in both. Uh, reading and mathematics. So in the Principal's Academy, we use the NISL curriculum and then we also add some additional units in that are specific to um, the needs and desires of Minnesota principals. For example, um, we have a unit on culturally responsive school leadership. Um, we have a unit on um, multi learners. We have a unit on teacher development and evaluation. Um, it's just a couple examples.
0: You know, and, and, and so you've also added, just in, in my time, the, you, you, you're part of the Urban Leadership Academy, mm-hmm. and uh, working with Dr. Khalifa. Mm-hmm. And, and so while I didn't get the experience of working with him, obviously, re- reading his book and, and getting more insight, talk about how the two of those have kind of uh, come in combination, because I see you linking a lot of information from the two.
1: Yes, so um, so you mentioned the Urban Leadership Academy, which uh, was started about 25 years ago. And at the time, oh. it was started um, by um, just to get the, the leaders of Minneapolis and St. Paul to actually be talking together. And the U was sort of an inter- intermediary in that case, um, to be helpful in, in that regard. That has really turned in over the years to um, kind of a speaker series. Um, out of that, um, you mentioned my colleague, Dr. Muhammad Khalifa, We actually uh, independently wrote a curriculum called the Culturally Responsive School Leadership Academy, um, which uh, we is offered um, in an eight-day format and also a two and a half day format, Um, and that's actually now offered um, independently from the university um, through through the. It's literally called the Culturally Responsive School Leadership Academy. (laughs) Not a very catchy name, but gets the job done.
0: Right. Um, so, so now we're going to talk a little bit more about, about you and, and that's, that's why we're here. And, and so I, I know you're a very humble person, Katie, and, uh, but can you tell us, you, you've had experience both as an elementary principal and mm-hmm. as a middle school principal. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about how your journey in education led you into school leadership.
1: Yeah, so um, I was a high school English teacher in Owatonna, Minnesota. Um, Yes, it was a fantastic experience. Um, And the greatest thing that came from that was the mentoring that I got from, um, uh, affectionately, I refer to them as the ladies, but um, three women who really mentored me into the profession and what it meant to be a professional. Um, From there, um, I embarked on, yes, school leadership as a journey. I got my license through the University of Minnesota. um, And when I finished my license, I actually applied for a high school assistant principal position in Austin, went to click on the button, and it wasn't there. And I called HR, and they said, oh, well, there's an elementary job. Why don't you apply for that? And I was like, (laughs) what do I know about that? I applied, uh, you know, just because why wouldn't you apply for everything, and lo and behold, I got the job. Now, I knew absolutely nothing about um, elementary at the time, and, and you've heard me say this, Brett, before, but um, so the year I spent as an elementary school principal was the most I have ever learned um, in that time frame, and, um, and I have a doctorate from the University of Minnesota, so <laughs> um,
0: uh, but experience <laughs> <I curious laughs> is a valuable teacher right there
1: it is right experience is a really valuable teacher so after spending that time at the elementary which I loved and would have would have really enjoyed staying um, my superintendent very talented leader um, Candace Raskin who's now at Mankato State came to me and said we'd really like you to go to the middle school and I shook my head no and said mm-hmm. well we could talk about that um, and and there I was off to the middle school which turned out to be the best job I've ever had in my entire life. I love my job at the university, but there is just something about middle school kids and middle school teachers that I really, really enjoyed. So I was a middle school principal for six years, um, and then the university called and said, hey, we'd like someone to help out um, with the implementation of this college readiness program, which I had in my building at the time. So I went to the university, um, helped design the implementation of their program, Ramp Up to Readiness, oversaw two yeah. federal randomized control trials, um, which found statistically significant outcomes for increasing kids' likelihood of going to college. Um, and at the same time, the university was relaunching their doctoral program uh, for school and system leaders, asked if I would help consult on that, and then thought, well, why not have this principal um, help lead the Principal's Academy? So that's how I ended up in the Minnesota Principal's Academy, and it's been awesome.
0: So is that how you became principal-in-residence then? Yes. So it was direct out of Austin into the University of Minnesota.
1: It was, that's- and it was to it was it wasn't even tied to the principals academy. I came to lead the the implementation work of the college readiness program with school principals.
0: Awesome! I, I didn't know that that I didn't know that detail. So I yeah. I, I thought it went right into MPA. So that's very. And so I spent
1: the first two years at the university. Um, first of all, recruiting. I recruited fifty schools across the state to be part of that randomized control trial, um, and and traveling all around the state of Minnesota to help with implementation work.
0: That is awesome. I had no idea. See, uh, the journey is always such an interesting part of how people or yeah. who people are and how they get to where they are. Yeah, uh, that's, that's true. I, I love it. Well, so now you're also, so two of our former podcast guests, Jessica Cabeen and mm-hmm. Melissa Sonic, yes. you have developed some pretty close relationships with. Obviously, you knew Jessica back in Austin.
1: I did. I hired her as my assistant principal.
0: Oh, you hired her. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so that's <laughs> awesome. So you're, because now she is also one of our, you bring her in to also talk with us about early childhood. And now she's mm-hmm. in the school, Ellis. But uh, yes. um, you've managed to keep that relationship going strong, even being at the University of Minnesota. And, and, and so talk about, Katie, I know how you keep relationships going because we still stay in contact. But that is something that's really strong in you. And, and so what is the key, in your opinion, of, of maintaining, what are the keys of maintaining strong relationships when you've got, a, you've got a busy family, you've got a lot of obligations, so do all of our colleagues who are leaving buildings, but yet you still manage to have a quite a network of people you stay in touch with. What are some of the secrets that you have that, uh, that keep things going so strongly?
1: Well, I wish it was a secret. I don't think it is a secret. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm a pretty intellectually curious person. So when I'm engaged with folks and I see the interesting things they're doing, I immediately wanna share it with others. Um, so I oftentimes say I'm really, you know, a kind of a glorified air traffic controller. Um, so through my work in the principal's Academy um, or, or other places too, the PhD program, Cultural responsive Academy, et cetera. Um, I have this super unique opportunity to see amazing work happening across the state of Minnesota. In fact, I'm not sure all that many people get that really awesome opportunity like I do. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's, it 's pretty um exhilarating and exciting to see all of that really good work, and I feel like i 'm um, um, energized by it, and then sharing it with others is is just really um, i don 't know it 's fun
0: yeah it's just fun so genuine excitement for sharing it too and
1: i do and because Brett, the principles that i that I get to see and observe they genuinely do so many cool things. You see, for example, we're doing these calls right now with um, Principal Academy folks just to help get people connected. And, and I take something from one call and start talking about it on the other call. And you can tell the people who are on the call, the first one, we're like, mm, we already know that, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's the, Katie, I, I told you this, and I, I don't think it, it, it stuck as affectionately, but I, I call you a cross pollinator.
1: Oh yes, I don't know anything about gardening or bees, so I probably have a. But I fly in airplanes a lot, so that's probably where I get the air traffic controller metaphor.
0: <laughs> it's you help you help spread. You are you are spreading the all the great things that are happening, and you can go from one place to the next place. And so while you're talking about driving all around the state and hearing all these great ideas, it's really you are pollinating so many leaders and helping their schools, which helps their kids. And that that trickle down thing always comes through. Um, you you mentioned. one one of the Katie-isms I always took away is, well, so what does this mean on a Tuesday in my right? And and so your focus, even though you're working primarily with adults, is Mm -hmm. we're talking about the impact that it has on our students. And so with that lens, Katie, you're a very research-focused person. And and so you'll always say, what does the research say? And and we can even talk about like uh, best practices. Well, the research will tell you the best practices. You might have a gut feeling about something, but what does the research really say about it? But then you're grounded in the reality of, yeah, but how do I do that on a Tuesday? Talk a little bit about why you always make sure to bring that point up when you're working with adult learners.
1: Um, Because I think both are equally important. So first of all, um, yes, it will come as no surprise to anybody who knows me that one of the first questions I ask when someone tells me they want to do X, Y, or Z, I'll say, what does the research say on that? Um, And and now, unfortunately, it's caused a, a flood of emails for me often with, what does the research say about, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, recess. I'm like, I don't know what research says about recess, and then all of a sudden, I'm finding out what the research says about recess, right? right?
0: Underwater basket weaving. <laughs> totally, <about
1: that>. exactly. <laughs> um, so, I think first of all, um, there are very, very smart and thoughtful people who have spent a lot of time um, really examining the impacts of ideas, interventions, etc. So, I feel like, um, well, if we have some information, we should consult that right? Yeah. That being said, um, I really also very deeply believe that we have to think about what does this look like in a classroom on a Tuesday, right? Just because the research says in Austin, Minnesota, it worked with a group of kindergartners in 2005 to 2007, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work with kindergartners in Thief River Falls. Um, But I think having a grounding in the research and then knowing, okay, within my system, and you know, I think of a school as a system and also part of a larger system within a school district, how is this going to work or how will this function? If we can think about all of those things in combination at the outset, before we start asking teachers to do more or start frankly spending money on those things that are more, um, I just think we have a much better um, likelihood of a potential positive outcome. And, And by positive outcome, I don't just mean better student test scores. I mean, a positive outcome for the way teachers feel about the work they're doing in their buildings, the way families feel about the schools that they're sending their kids to, the way kids feel about belonging in those schools. So I think those things um, can be really well informed by the research. So I'm a firm believer that if you are the um, decision maker in a school building or a school district, um, before you start asking people to engage in a change process, which, let's be honest, that's what we're doing all of the time. Right. Um, it's our responsibility to know what the research says. We do not have to recreate what the research says exactly as it says it, um, but we need to be informed by it.
0: Well, it, it also helps when people want to know the why. Yeah. Right. If you have a foundation for decision making processes that go back to, um, we we can tell you we have seen results because of this, which is why we're guiding, we're going in this direction. Mm-hmm. Better than, well, I woke up today and it felt like it was a good idea, so let's go. And people are I like, saw it what? on Twitter, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and all right, now I have to say this because Katie, when so when you and I first met four years ago now it feels like it's been a while you're much uh, better at it than me by the way well i I don't (laughs) know i have to tell you i feel like it's flip-flop so like when i first when when i was like hey katie you know like you got to get in twitter and you're like twitter and then you kind of told me about like the not the nonsense but some of the non non non-research-based things that people are putting out there and and how people run with it and Mm -hmm. and and you were cautious with how you talked to me about just like you always have to be critical of what you're reading and make Mm -hmm. sure that what you're sharing is something that is, that is firmly founded. Right. And, and so now like you're one of my favorite follows on Twitter,
1: Um,
0: (laughs) because you, you blend, you blend what the research says. Like it's, it's really um, just Dylan Williams, just uh, ability Mm -hmm. thing thing that you just shared yesterday and I have an EBSCO account so I can actually get in and read the science direct piece. And and so, you know, I was thinking about that and going, Okay, so so you'll share this, and then but you'll also talk about going for a run or something humorous <laughs> or something that's political. And, that's and so really- yeah, you know, the political I'll
1: probably get in trouble for at some point.
0: But <laughs> you know what? You're, you're expressing opinions for why you believe something, okay, mm-hmm. and and that you are someone who is firmly grounded in your beliefs. And so there's a difference between being political and and really saying this doesn't align to my values, mm-hmm. and 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 so it, I. I I, I, well, I sure learned
1: I learned from you, Brett, on that I have to say, you know, I talk about a change process. Um, believe it or not, I have a I have a huge uh difficulty with change. Uh the the two largest in the principal's academy that's been completely helpful to me is, as you may recall, um, I was not a huge fan of the Googles uh, meeting. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> housing everything through Google Drive, et cetera, et cetera. And it was Peter Mao, one of the facilitators, yeah. who basically dr- drug me there kicking and screaming, but in a very you know nice and kind way. Talk about like like understanding adult learning. There's nobody like Peter Bao.
0: Um,
1: And then of course, the two times I found myself on an airplane and I had forgotten my computer and I was like, well, thank goodness for the Googles, right? Because it's all there. So I learned my lesson. Um, The same is true with Twitter. I have to say um, I was not an early adopter. I did not find it to be particularly helpful. And and I think it was because I saw a lot of um, sort of the Tweeting of things that I don't know that people necessarily really read all the way into, um, and a little bit of the, like, kind of look at me. Uh, so so I'm cautious with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do tweet um, research from time to time, and then I get emails asking for the actual article, um, which is fun. Um, but I learned stuff there as well. And so I really had a, had to come around to the idea of, no, it's a platform that actually I can learn from as well.
0: Well, and 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 you do it in a way. I think some of the the self serving notions of Twitter is what mm-hmm. you were weary of, right? Yes. And and, and uh, the I think it's good for everyone to be weary about that. Yeah. Um, is, is it is it glorified self promotion or is it really about? development of others right and and so you're using it in a way that i i i admire and i go way to go katie because you're like twit twat twat or whatever you know (laughs) see
1: but but people can change they can learn (laughs) oh absolutely
0: Absolutely. and so it's it's really for for me just to watch you personally kind of add that in i'm like and this is just another facet that makes katie katie i mean like it's (laughs) it's really really enjoyable and and so you know katie in mpa we talk a lot about adult learning Mm-hmm. and and you really it's one of your biggest concerns as we bring all these adults into a room because you want them to be engaged you mm-hmm. want them to have some choice in voice but you also want them to be critical readers mm-hmm. and 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 so talk about uh your experiences now going through multiple cohorts what have you learned about adults in practice as you're leading those groups and bringing in other speakers and doing those those kind of things to enhance it
1: um So here's what I've learned. The research on learning is true. (laughs) Um, And as we know, the three seminal findings um, from the research on how people learn is that one, we must engage their preconceptions. Two, we need to give them a conceptual framework with which to um, attach new information in order to um, retrieve it um, when appropriate. And three, they have to have opportunities for metacognition um, to think about their thinking as it relates to um, themselves. So within MPA, um, the first one, engaging their preconceptions, actually isn't that difficult um, because we're talking about things that they all have preconceptions about.
0: Right.
1: It's the second, um, building a conceptual framework um, that I think um, is not immediately clear to um, everybody who's engaging in it, but it becomes clear. Um, And I think once leaders have a conceptual framework um, that is focused around their why, or their vision for what they believe is an effective school. I like to think that that vision is somewhat grounded in research (laughs) on what makes um, an effective school. Um, I think it just um, frankly slows us down. I think we're in a place um, in in society in general, but certainly as school leaders, that we are so driven by wanting to make things better for kids and families um, and staff too. And I think that that puts us on this sort of frenetic uh, sort of hamster wheel of, of, you know, what, what's the next thing, what are we going to do? How are we going to change this? And I think when we have a conceptual framework that's led by a vision, we can slow down and we can sort of filter through, hmm, what's really going to work for, for my students and families in this community in a classroom on a Tuesday. That's where that metacognition comes in. So I think um, what I have learned is, um, for adult learners, especially um, like you and I, Brett, now we've been at this a little while, we're not, we're not 25, right? <laughs> <laughs> to get adult learners to think about learning in a way that is not just about them providing opportunities to learn for um, students and staff, but also their own learning, mm-hmm. um, that takes a lot of, a lot of um, time of, of their own self-reflection. It's not that they're not capable or they didn't want to, or they, but they're just in this role of, I am leader, so I need to kind of know. I think the academy just gives us um, the time and the space to slow down, to allow that learning to happen.
0: Well, and it's interesting, too, because we have so many different personalities for mm-hmm. that room, right? And, and so would, great. Because well, we're leaders. Well, everyone's, but everyone's at a different point of where they think they are in their learning. And so mm-hmm. there's the inquisitive people who will just keep asking, well, why, why, why? And there's others who, who would just tell me what it is I need to learn, and then I'll make my decisions based on this. Mm-hmm. So you're always trying to engage everybody where they are in the journey, especially through the two years of MPA. Yeah, now, now, you know, with, with COVID, I have to just ask you how, yeah. so when you're thinking about this and how do you engage leaders from a distance now with a the, with the cohort right now not mm-hmm. able to in person, yeah. um, it's presented its own challenges that we're trying to do at school from a distance. How are, how are you looking at MPA and what kind of thoughts and processes are you starting to engage in as you decide what to do in the future?
1: Yeah, we're at a critical point right now to make a decision here in the next month. I've held off um, as humanly, like as long as possible. Uh, Funny you should ask because I'll send out an email this week um, asking MPA um, how they want to proceed. Do they want to push out until maybe later this summer and continue? Do they want to wait till the fall and continue? Do they want to move to um, online? Um, NISL, as I mentioned earlier, the the curriculum provider that we use, um, has moved online everywhere else in the country. Yeah, and I have uh, interestingly, uh, not probably surprising to you, um, have heard from many folks we don't want to do that. Um, So, engage folks' preconceptions, right? (laughs) Um, So, we're going to do a a survey of current and the two current MPA cohorts, um, one in the Twin Cities and one in Marshall, to see how they're feeling. Um, And then we'll make a decision um, probably by mid July on how we're going to move forward.
0: Yeah, um, the big three day is in the summer. That's when we're like really... I,
1: I know. And the Twin Cities cohort is really large. So that poses a problem um, for us. We're at almost 50 in that cohort. So we might have to divide into two cohorts. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and then, how, and then deciding how do you divide the cohorts? I
1: how- know. <laughs>
0: yeah, Katie, I, I, <laughs> I think we'll find a solution and, and then also work to revise it if needed, if we're finding that it's not meeting the needs, right? Yeah. So- so 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 now coming from so so you kind of live so you live in Minneapolis and you live in Austin. Like you kind of Saint Paul,
1: Brett. I live in
0: Saint Paul. Oh, St. Paul, I think. Not Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll <cut laughs> Sorry, back. friends
1: in Minneapolis, I'm sure it's great, but
0: <laughs> oh, just even you and Kobe running down at the Capitol, I should have. Yes, quit. that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but so you really you, you know, and then you're spend so much time at the U, and then mm-hmm. you're also so connected with your family. And so doing this. You know, that requires a lot of balance. And I and I was talking about that earlier. And and you put your family first. You you really do. And I and I know that living in Austin is you've made some sacrifices to do that. Um, obviously honoring your privacy, but just to just how how do you manage that work home balance? Because you mm-hmm. look like you do it gracefully, but we all know as humans Yeah,
1: well my kids aren't on the call, so they don't know that for sure. <laughs> um.
0: And you've got older teenagers too, so that's a whole I do.
1: I do, which actually I have to say, I, I, I see a lot of folks right now during this time with young kids and I think they actually really are bearing the brunt of, of the balancing. Um, my teenagers, you know, they're not going to wake up till 10 AM. And, um, <laughs> even when they do get up, you know, they can feed themselves. So, um, but back to your question, uh, the balancing act. Yes, I do. So, um, as many folks already know, uh, we have a blended family. Um, and so, uh, I live in Austin half the week where my um, youngest daughter, Molly, continues to go to school. Uh, my son, Thomas, is now in college. And then I live in St. Paul the other half of the week when Molly's with um, with her dad. And um, my other daughter, Victoria, is at Central High School. And our son, Adam, is at the University of Chicago. Um, and my husband, Kent, normally is traveling almost all the time. <laughs> He's right. the president CEO of Search Institute. So... So, a couple things um, as far as balance goes. First of all, um, almost all my reading is via audiobook and in my car. Um, So, people are like, How does she read so much? I don't. I listen a lot. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: Number one. Number two, I I feel like I'm just really blessed um, that my job at the university does allow me flexibility. So, if I have to drive somewhere at one o'clock in the afternoon, I can. Um, So, I. My schedule. Usually, I get up early in the morning and do a lot of work um, from my computer wherever I am, um, and so that allows for flexibility um, as needed. So, and you know, kids are great. Mine are fairly great, um, <laughs> but they're also pretty are, are pretty understanding. And um, you know, it's amazing you can move an entire family of six around from your iPhone pretty quickly,
0: right? <laughs> so yeah well and 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 again this goes back to you you do it with grace you you do it with humility and and you and you don't hide the things that you're doing you you, you i, I yeah. want to say you're transparent is, is probably the right well
1: thing. that's nice i appreciate that I, and it's i trust me i get help from lots of folks um I, you mentioned jessica cabine earlier there's a time or two where she had to go get molly and bring her somewhere for me because i wasn't going to make it or um so uh, you know it takes a village <laughs>
0: right well we get by with the help of our friends so that's, that's right you know, right so so yeah. now i'm gonna i'm gonna bounce back to when you're talking about making the move to middle school and you found yeah. that- okay so so those who know katie would probably know that she's got a dry sense of humor Mm -hmm. she's very relational (laughs) Uh, and sometimes she'll just call you out on any bs too and uh it is uh it it, in a way that is is kind obviously but it but so you've got you said you found the right match and Mm -hmm. i think that your personality i can i can see how that would work is is what was it about middle school that really drew you in and said this is my place these are my people
1: Well, it's the best of all worlds. Um, So first of all, let's start with um, teachers. Um, So at least in the time when I was a principal, now that's, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, middle school uh, teachers, uh, and my building was six, seven, eight at the time, they tend to be made up of both elementary licensed folks and secondary licensed folks. So th- I think of that um, both academically and socially emotionally as the best of all worlds because you have people who have deep knowledge of content that had that original like 712 license um, or now I think it's, you know, 5-8 uh, content um, endorsed. Um, but then you also have the folks, especially in the building that I was in, boy, I had some 6th grade teachers that were elementary teachers, I think they, you know, started in 1842 or something Mm -hmm. like that, but they just loved kids, and they would really remind their 8th grade colleagues, like, yeah, actually, we're not here about the standards, we're here about kids, and then the 8th grade colleagues would be like, yeah, but if we don't pay attention to the standards, um, they're not going to get a sheet cake at high school, (laughs) so those two, you know, kind of competing but complementary um, uh, forces work so well together. Um, so I love that. And then kids, oh my goodness, middle schoolers, they are awesome. They're funny. Um, they, they don't know how to lie very well yet. Um, <laughs> They can, they can um, really appreciate their teachers still, and it's they don't like being cool is, is something new to them. Um, so that's why I felt it was the best of all worlds. Now, I will say um, I know life has changed in a middle school since I was a principal there, and, and I don't envy the things that principals are dealing with today around issues of social media, um, etc. Um, that was just new on the scene when I was leaving um, the principalship. Um, but I do think, um, the, the best part about middle schools for me, um, was the ability to build and leverage relationships.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and not that those, that doesn't happen in other places. I know what happens in other places, but, um, it was particularly, um, poignant for me at a middle school.
0: Well, and we all know the research that relationships do matter if you- As will. it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, I think it's important. And you mentioned your husband, Kent, and, and before- <laughs> ask a question about search institute because obviously that is a depth of resource um, yeah. that, that you dive into and share share amply um is katie i want to ask you do talk to people in the mpa and you and you talk about the the journey of going on your doctorate and, yeah. <laughs> and it's not for everybody we i mean yeah. that, and so so when you think about your phd and and your journey Talk about the things that that led you there, and and why you're happy you are on the other side, and you have not And and talk about um, for principals who are out there thinking, you know what? I'd like to go after my Ph.D. or my Ed.D. Mm-hmm. Um, what, Katie, what are your thoughts as you and not not to like promote the U of M, but just in in general of of that quest of learning? Um,
1: yeah. Uh, So first of all, I have an EDD. I have um, one of the last EDDs at the U of M um, handed out. Um, We now run a PhD program. The difference between the two degrees is the EDD is often considered the practitioner degree and a PhD is often considered the researcher's degree. Um, the U of M um, now only offers a Ph.D., um, i to be honest, because we can, because we're the only research one institution in the state. Um, what was the journey for me? I, will, I often uh, reflect on, I was in a class with Dr. Nicola Alexander, um, and I was sitting at this very kitchen table that I'm sitting at today, and I was talking with her about um, a paper, and I was a middle school principal at the time, and I was so frustrated, and I said, Nicola, how is this going to help me be a better middle school principal? And she said, it's not. It's going to help you be a better thinker. And that is really what um, my doctoral program did for me. It immersed, so I never got to participate in MPA. Um, believe it or not. So um, in fact, I learned about it from Jessica, who was my assistant principal at the time. Every time we'd have a question, she'd haul out these big binders. And I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, But for me, what what my doctoral program did is it really forced me to understand how to consume and use research. Um, It also helped me to really think um, from a systems view, um, not just um, a problem view. Um, so those are things I think people can get in multiple places. I think a lot of people can frankly get that from MPA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, um, uh, at least for me, um, that, that level of thinking and analysis, um, which again, I had to really slow down to do, um, was not something that I was going to find, um, in my day-to-day work. And it certainly wasn't something that I was going to find in kind of typical, uh, principal professional development, because that was really about quick stuff right now. Yeah. Um, and a doctoral program is certainly not
0: so. No, and I like <laughs> that, that idea of how, about the thinking because it mm-hmm. really is is to be a critical thinker, and and then it goes back to what do you say? What does the research say?
1: Right. I I know I would not um, have that deep of a, a sense of the importance of that had I not been in a doctoral program because I just wouldn't have been exposed to it um, anywhere else. Um, again, I, I do think that's where MPA um, influences a lot of leaders. I know it influenced leaders before I got there um, from that regard. So
0: Well, here's the funny thing. I thought you were the, I thought you brought about MPA, so that's funny. No,
1: gosh, no, no, lots of people. In fact, um, it, it existed for six years before, before I came to the university. So um, over f- I think now we're at about over 500 people um, have participated in MPA in some way, shape or form.
0: So, so now Kent, uh, your husband has been a speaker at MPA. And so that's yeah. how I found out who he was and then followed him on Twitter. And now like, I mean, uh, like how the world kind of continues to evolve. And so having two researchers in one house and, and, and that sharing of knowledge, talk about what that's like and how it influences your practice of having a husband who then you're, you have your, your personal relationship, but then also finding out about the things he's doing and, and how you embed that into MPA into the things that you talk about.
1: Yeah, so first, to be clear, there's only one researcher in the house, and that's Kent. I'm a very good consumer of research, um, and uh, and I think I can um, share it well. Um, but I don't I don't conduct um, research at the university um, on my own. Um, to be honest, um, it, it, it's too tedious for me. Um, <laughs> but that being said, um, this concept of what is that going to look like in the classroom on a Tuesday um, is actually uh, grew out of um, my relationship with Kent, um, early on in our relationship, he would be talking about something or an idea. And I would say, um, okay, what's that going to look like in a classroom on a Tuesday? And he would say to me very lovingly and appropriately, um, well, if we don't get the policy right, it doesn't matter. And I was like, Huh. He's right. (laughs) Um, So actually um, I think our um, personal professional relationship has a lot of um, sharing and a back and forth of what something um, could potentially look like in service to practice. Does that make sense? So, so um, Kent has a, you know, a staff of really brilliant researchers that are working on, for example, developmental relationships, and then they're translating that into messaging it for practice. And so we'll. That's our dinner conversation, or that's our, you know, <laughs> our walking the dog conversation. It's so.
0: organic. It can just happen because yeah. you have that time and space to allow that dialogue to go around the work. Yes. That's, all right. So I hope I can have just a few more minutes because I, yeah, I have a few questions. And, and, and while, you can edit all you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, I, I, I'm excited to ask it, but you just mentioned policy and, mm-hmm. and um, I've been following your work with, with Minnesota legislation and you've been, mm-hmm. been down to testify. You really influence people um, coming down and, and speaking with our lawmakers. Talk mm-hmm. about that. Um, I don't want to use the right word balance, but the advocacy mm-hmm. and the giving the broader picture to, to our elected leaders and how that affects education. Talk about what your role is in, in the university or MPA mm-hmm. and, and share a little bit about that because I don't think people know some of that work that you do.
1: Sure. First of all, um, prior to my being involved in um, MPA and working with uh, the folks, Roger, you mentioned earlier, um, at MASPA, um, previously Jim Bartholomew at the Minnesota Business Partnership, Gary Amoroso at MASA, prior to my being um, appreciative of their help in advocating for MPA, I had so little, honestly, no understanding of the legislative process uh, and how that worked. Um, And I probably... um, really erroneously um, didn't give credit to the legislators um, and the work that they do. Um, So when I first sat through the legislative process now eight years ago, um, I walked away from that going, holy cow, there is a lot that goes on there and um, a lot of those legislators are really smart people balancing a lot of information. Um, And they've got smart staffers helping them. So I just first want to acknowledge the work that they are doing. they are, as you know, on multiple committees, and even though education might be their passion, they have, you know, six minutes to ingest or understand um, concepts. So um, one thing that, that I have um, been uh, willing to, you know, do is to provide information relative to the research. Mm-hmm. Um, and the U has a benefit of doing that in a pretty nonpartisan way, right? Like kind of the research is the research. Um, So that's one. The other thing that I've really learned um, in the process of of advocating for um, the continued funding of MPA, which I want to just say we're so grateful to, uh, not only the legislature, but also the Minnesota Department of Education, um, because they've been great partners in that, and that's really where the money flows to um, and then comes to the university, um, is that legislators want to hear from their constituents. So you know this, Brett, and anyone else who's been in MPA (laughs) likely knows this. I oftentimes um, ask MPA folks if they've had a good experience or or if they like the Academy in their area, would they please contact their legislators and talk with them? Um, They want to hear from you far more than they want to hear from me. They want to hear how does MPA impact what you're doing in Lakeville or Beaver Falls or East Grand Forks or or wherever. So um, that's something that I learned early on. And I think that's what's helped MPA, um, maintain its funding and its bipartisan support mm-hmm. because it's principals talking to their legislators and I think principals oftentimes see themselves in sort of this you know kind of middle management position and they don't uh, necessarily understand the power of their voice especially to their legislators and I think once uh, folks like yourself get engaged in that process then they're like oh they they are interested and they do listen so um, and they really are interested and they really do listen.
0: Right. And and, and as someone who got to testify Mm in the committee, and uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch the process and you're right. You've got just a few minutes to get your idea across or to catch somebody in the lobby before they walk into session. And, and I, I do admire the the lobbyists and what they have to do because you're right. It's a short message that they have to get across Um, and uh, we're still connected. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So I was going to ask you that that there's two other pieces, but we'll we'll just, uh, all right. The cohorts. Okay. Northern Minnesota, Southern Minnesota, Mm -hmm. Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. and, and no, no cohort is created the same. And so as you started looking at branching out MPA Mm -hmm. to actually go where our leaders are versus making them all come to Minneapolis and say, Hey, Mm -hmm. you can come to the U if you want this. Um, Talk about the successes and uh, how that came to be. And then at, at the very end, my last question, you can just think about it, is mm-hmm. you, are, you are masterful at getting people to do the things they didn't even know they wanted to do, right?
1: Mm-hmm. They yeah. didn't know they didn't want
0: to do <laughs> Just share that last bit about how, how we yeah. make cohorts work around the state.
1: Yep. So um, speaking of legislators, it came it came out of that. So at the time, um, I had worked with Shane Zutz, who was the high school principal at Lincoln High School in Thief River Falls. He no longer is in education. He's actually the director of HR for um, Digikey. And uh, he was a ramp up school and he called me and said, what do we have to do to get the principal's academy in um, Northern Minnesota? And I said, like, well, that is a long way away. Um, but uh, it was because of Shane, his relationship with then Senator Leroy Stumpf, who was the highest ranking member of the Senate and led the ed committee at the time, um, that we got support to get the academy's funding reinstated. Um, and that was in 2015, I think, 14 or 15. Um, And out of that, um, we agreed to go to Northern Minnesota, right? And we also agreed that we would, with the amount of funding that we get, we could run two cohorts at a time and we would always run one in greater Minnesota and we would move it around um, to do exactly what you're saying, to serve folks in greater Minnesota so that they don't have to come to the Twin Cities. it's been super successful. We've been in Thief River. We've been in Staples. We've been in uh, Fergus Falls. Now we're in Marshall. We hope to be um, in Southern Minnesota uh, starting next year. Um, the cohorts um, are different, um, but um, when you have, we have folks that go between the two, like if they miss a unit or not, um, the learning is also the same. So um, it's that's been really, really, I think part of the most exciting part about MPA is getting to go places and see what the rest of the state is like, right?
0: Right. When well, you get to share those ideas and you're sharing what's happening in more of our rural schools and when you're the principal of a, uh, not just a high school, but you might be a middle high school or you might be mm-hmm. a K-8 principal and, and the experiences are different. And so for for all of us to kind of know the, the the struggles and the successes our, our colleagues are having across the state really helps level the playing field and, and give everyone that, that opportunity to learn. Um, yeah,
1: it really the, does. So
0: the big piece, so Katie, one of my favorite Katieisms is, is that you, that you get people to do things they didn't even know they didn't want to do. Yeah, and that
1: actually comes from Peter Mao. He said, said Katie Piquel has the uncanny ability to get people to do things they didn't know they didn't want to do.
0: <laughs> well, and, and, but you, and, you, and you ask for it with grace and you, mm. and you do it with the, hey, it's okay if you don't want to do this. But for some reason, I haven't said no to you yet. And I'm sure other people are probably in the same it, it, feeling the same way is that they they keep saying yes. And you know, <laughs> talk about how how that comes to be, because I'm like, looking at this week's speakers and this week mm-hmm. for, for the MPA share of sessions. It's all new people. Mm-hmm. And so how do you cultivate all these leaders to to continue to give to each other?
1: Well, first of all, they're not saying yes to me. I think that's the number one thing. I think they, I think most people, I think you, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when I called and said, Hey Brett, would you do this? for other principals. You're like, of course I will. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so I think that's what has um, MPA has uh, created and been allowed to do is to um, be a place that's in service to one another. Um, and I'm really, again, I'm just the conduit for it. I'm the air traffic controller. I, you know, I can reach out quickly to folks and, and, um, and I think they like being asked to help one another. I think they like to contribute. I think that they like to know that the, their work is recognized for the good things that it is. And, um, and therefore, they also trust them that when I ask someone else to do something, oh, whatever she's bringing is probably good because she asked me. Um, or, or I've seen bring good things brought before. Yeah. So um, I also think um, I try to, as best as I can, balance um, where I'm asking and who I'm asking and what I'm asking of them. So for example, um, you mentioned Melissa Sonic earlier. Um, one of the best elementary principals I have ever seen. Hands down. And as you know, she's now a principal and special assignment at the district level, which brings new insights, right? Um, So I know she doesn't have the demands of a day-to-day building. So sometimes I ask her for things on the quick, um, because I I know she can do it. But then also she did say no to me for the first time ever two weeks ago, Um, which I know. And she's, in fact, she she even, uh, I think she tweeted, I live to tell about it. (laughs) I was like, of course you did. Um, but I think the balance of, of when you ask folks and how often and who you're asking, um, that's why if you've probably noted on these calls, um, I've, been, I've tried to be purposeful in asking folks from greater Minnesota, from the Twin Cities, different levels, different experiences, different backgrounds, because um, I think it's, it's that um, diversity of thought and experience that makes the saying yes easier for folks.
0: Absolutely. And, and you do make it easy for everyone to say. <laughs> That's, that's, uh, I, I, I attend to that everyone. Uh, it's, it's fun saying yes to Katie because you know you have purpose when you're when you're responding to a call. So
1: the best part about uh, coming to the University of Minnesota is um, um, I've learned uh, that, first of all, as you know, I have zero positional authority. <laughs> Absolutely nobody reports to me. Not even Diane, my administrative assistant. She reports to Gary, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I have zero positional authority. So um, anything that, that I'm able to, to do, I, ha- I, I really do it through relationships. And it's not just the relationship with me. It's um, building a connection and an identity to, um, to MPA, I think, initially, but also the, the, just the greater good of, of the principalship. Um, so I think that's why people respond.
0: <laughs> you are the embodiment of that, Katie. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know I took longer than the time that we had discussed uh, being part of this, but I—it's been such a thorough and, and joyful conversation. And uh, well,
1: this has been great to talk to you, Brett. I love these podcasts. Of course, I listen to them all the time, um, and I'm so glad that you initiated them and that you're you're doing them and all of the work at um, Mespa. I just think is is just fantastic so um thanks for all you're doing
0: well and mespa is a we are a learning organization right yes and, i
1: know so many <laughs>
0: mespa members are sitting at mpa right now mm-hmm. and so many of them are listening because they're challenging themselves to continue to learn and grow and that's that's really what we're in in this for is as educators we're leaders but we're also learners and mm-hmm. and so uh, it's it's an honor and i i'm i'm grateful to call you friend and colleague here and uh, thank you for your leadership katie and uh we're Really happy that you're able to be on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Brian.
0: All right, everyone. Be sure to uh, subscribe to the VESPA Principal Cast and uh, follow Katie. Oh, Katie, how can everyone find you on the Twitters?
1: On the Twitters, at Katie Pekel, P-E-K-E-L.
0: It's, it's pretty straightforward. Follow Katie. It, she is totally a worthwhile follow, entertaining. you get to see a little update with Kobe the dog too. Mm. So uh, it's uh it's it's always entertaining and you'll learn something. So uh, Katie, thanks again for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Mespa Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit mespa.net.